Hey y'all, welcome to the Furdos Podcast. This is episode five. This is your host again, Hads. Today we're actually going to be a little bit more specific. We're going to be focusing on musical therapy in regards to depression. Now, as you may know, depression is classified as a mood disorder. It may be described as feelings of sadness, loss, or anger that interfere with a person's daily activities. Everybody has experienced depression, I mean, over some moment of their lives. But obviously, the most, the more serious cases are people that experience it on a day-to-day basis to an extent where it actually affects their lives and prevents them from doing things. Research focusing on the use of music as a serious treatment delivery tool for mental illness is currently underdeveloped, although the potential for positive effects are considerable. Music can be viewed as an ideal medium for providing psychotherapeutic material due to its enjoyability its flexibility as a metaphor for psychoeducation, and its potential for creating a common language between therapeutic group members. Now, last time in the podcast, what I talked about was the nitty-gritty and the scientific basis of why musical therapy works. Now, what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to be talking about different studies that utilize musical therapy and how they went. So there was a study before this actually um, made by a person named Castillo. The authors of that study actually outlined the difference between active and receptive forms of musical therapy. Active forms utilize improvisational techniques in which both the therapist and the patient play musical instruments to work on songs, as well as musical phrases and provide insight into rational and emotional problems identified by the patient. So the receptive approaches to musical therapy consist of patients listening to different types of music stimulus to directly induce physical and emotional changes. So despite the variance of the interventions used, population studied, and the outcomes measured, it was concluded that using music and therapy is accepted by individuals with depression and is associated with improvements in mood. Now, one one of the most important things in pharmacology is usually patient compliance. A drug will literally mean nothing if the patient doesn't take it, obviously. So using musical therapy and having the patients be compliant with it in itself is a win. It's success. There's definitely a need to develop interventions that use music as a medium in order to deliver evidence-based psychotherapeutic treatments. And right now, it's ridiculously underdeveloped, like I mentioned. Now, there's this thing called cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT for short, and it has been established as an effective form of psychotherapy in the treatment of depression, anxiety, and psychosis with a solid foundation of evidence. There exist some obstacles to providing CBT. Even when CBT can be provided, clients might have to wait a long time to access treatment, to be engaged, and it also might have poor and beneficial effects based on the session. Now, the development of CBT-based music group can address the limitations of restricted access and poor engagement by using music as a delivery medium for the CBT in a low-intensity group format. This therapy holds potential to become an accessible, enjoyable, and efficient therapy for people that suffer from depression.
So in the specific Canadian study done by a, um, a neuroscientist, his name is Chris Trimmer, it was done in Kingston, Ontario. This feasibility study was conducted using a randomized controlled clinical trial, and it was a single blind study. That means only one party was blind to whether they had the placebo or the actual treatment. So individuals invited to the study were attending the Community Mental Health Services Center, and participants were considered eligible based on a diverse set of criteria, whether it was age, living or living within traveling distance of the Community Mental Health Center, as well as the diagnosis of anxiety and depression, according to a scale called DSMV. Now, they were excluded if they had um, alcohol or substance abuse or dependence, significant cognitive impairment, and active symptoms of psychosis. Now, obviously, the reason behind that is just because when you're doing an experiment that has to do with any kind of depression or anxiety, you want to make sure that there are absolutely no other factors that are contributing to it. That being said, if you are under the influence of alcohol, which is a depressant, or uh, experience psychosis, or have any cognitive impairment, it's not necessarily in your hands. Now, the feasibility was assessed through recruitment, retention, and informal feedback from participants and professionals. Participants at the end of the intervention were asked to describe their experience. They were also requested to name the sessions that they found most helpful or unhelpful and suggestions to kind of improve it. Now, the low-intensity CBT music group was a nine-week self-guided self-help group that was used to provide CBT for individuals with symptoms of depression and anxiety. The intervention adheres to traditional CBD group structures, including theme weeks, use of behavioral experiments, thought records and providing homework at the conclusion of each session, as well as a focus on skill building. It consisted of songs and musical activities based on the CBT components of guided self-help material that has been tested locally for its effectiveness. This intervention aims to infuse music into nearly every aspect of CBT group therapy as a means of deeper understanding and engagement with the material. The primary goal of the group was to promote the feeling of attending band practice. It wasn't necessarily just listening to music, but playing music. So the group was held in an arts performance space in the community outside of the Mental Health Service Center, and they were asked to participate in singing, playing instruments, and even contributing to songwriting for the group. All the musical instruments were accessible to non-musicians with no prior musical experience. So going to the results, recruitment for the intervention was successful. Uh, 93.75% of the people that were recruited out of the 52 um, participated. And retention was also successful. 93% almost of the people that started out the experiment ended it. So the results demonstrate that CBT can be adapted to a musical context and that music can be used as a medium to deliver guided self-help for depression and anxiety. This low intensity CBT music intervention proved to be feasible, acceptable, and actually was very popular among the patients. There was also significant reduction in disability. However, the results did not reach statistical significance. So this might be due to the fact that the clients were attending secondary care and therefore had higher levels of severity of the symptoms. And I mean, low intensity intervention would be too little for them. Low intensity CBT music may also be a positive step forward in improving access and availability for individuals with mental health problems 
to individual therapy, in a stepped care model, difficulties in overcoming barriers to accessibility and availability of CBT are numerous. So music is often described as a universal language and it's rare to find a person who doesn't have a positive relationship with music in some manner. Despite a wide variety of recorded music and music ability, there appears to be a basic level of innate musicmanship and shared awareness of popular music in the general population that allows it to be an ideal medium to understand mental health treatments. So the burden of common mental disorders to society is actually immense, and it includes massive economic, social, and human costs. These common mental disorders can be addressed through low-intensity CBT approaches and self-help. With this in mind, there's a need to employ population-based approaches to promote well-being. The major advantage of CBT music is its potential of reaching a wider range of the general population. This can not only deal with those with mild emotional and mental health difficulties, but also target those at a high risk of developing mental health problems. There's evidence to suggest that music therapy can be effective in helping those with mental disorders. However, musical therapy is currently not included in evidence-based guidelines. This is not because of a lack of robust evidence, rather due to a lack of theoretical underpinning to this theory. The study kind of opens a new avenue in delivering evidence-based therapy in low-intensity formats. If the larger randomized controlled trials find this intervention to be effective and the rates of engagement remain high in future studies, CBT would be provided to a greater number of participants with common mental disorders, and hopefully that would achieve statistical significance. So the limitations behind this is that it was a small-scale study, only 52 participants. So another limitation was that the feedback that they got from the participants wasn't structured. They didn't have questions for it or anything like that. They just kind of accepted any feedback that was given to them. Now this, in, in that regards, is also a weakness because usually if you want to maintain consistency, you want to have specific questions that you're asking everybody. That being said, this trial shows that it is feasible to offer a low-intensity CBT-based music group to participants who regularly attend community mental health services. And further studies are always needed to generalize these findings. So the main summary of this podcast, I try to keep my podcast relatively short, is musical therapy is powerful and a lot of people underestimate its power. And if we do keep doing research on it in the ways that we have more recently, eventually we will crack the code per se and start using music in order to combat day-to-day mental illnesses and hopefully even more serious ones. Once again, thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Every single listen counts. Check out the website, furdose.ca, that is F-U-R-D-O-S-E dot C-A, or at furdose on Instagram. And join, join the group, join the conversation, send me a DM. Always send me a message if you guys ever want me to talk about a specific thing. Thank you guys once again for listening, and I'll see you next week. Not play with my energy, shooting the pop 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 for my enemies. Fuck up on a case and you're racing my pen. Bleeding this ink, leave you stain in the end. Started from the bottom, only way I go is up. But they rooting you down, making sure you stay stuck. For what? Tell me when enough is enough. Cuffing up my energy for what? A buck? A dollar that you made after this? That's it. Real pennies on that shit. Friend like you rich. Take a moment, line on my chakra. Do everything in my power to stop you. What would mama say in a moment like this? Ain't trying to spill no blood. Ain't trying to end up like car. That's when 
when enough is enough. Shit hit the fan with derail from the plan. Shame and the pain, it all starts to wane. Found myself lost in the days. Had to push right up, up through the haze. Came out with a brand new foundation. Came out with a brand new look. Left them all shook. Smiles and teeth out and everything. And you could not play with my energy. You could not play. You could not play with my energy. I need to come down.